0: Yeah, we have about two hundred. Um, we were in the IHOP world as well mm-hmm. when I came on, so I was the director of talent acquisition for fifty IHOP restaurants as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we were in that world, and then we were in the Pizza Hut world before I came about, but and with you know 40 or 50 of those as well. But um, but now we're all Taco Bell. So um, so yeah, I mean it. Um, you know, it came, it came about. Um, so so I guess yeah, we built five to seven a year. I think I think it was about. I think we had about 170, you know, because we'll offset some here or there uh, if towns move down the road, you know, and lease lease runs out. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's um, so so we're we're right at uh, probably you know 10 15 percent more.
1: Welcome to the I Fired My Boss franchise podcast. My name's Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. my life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top
2: franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership.
1: Welcome to another episode of I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast, previously Franchise Founders Podcast. At the time of recording this, I think this is the first time that I am saying that we we made some announcements that we're changing our podcast name. And for the audience, you know, we, uh, we've we decided that we wanted this to really start to go in a direction of stories of franchisees and people that purchase a franchise and how they left corporate and made that journey or if they're in corporate, you know, thinking about the journey. And so we've changed the title and this is my first time saying that on the podcast. So Greg, you get to be the first guest. Nice to see you, Greg. How are you? Oh man, I'm doing
0: well. I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys coming on. That was a surprise for me. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just as surprised as the rest of the folks listening. So that's awesome. Congrats on the rebrand. Thank
2: you. Yeah, it feels a little bit more, uh, you know we we found that it's been it's more helpful to hear from franchisees and you know people that are kind of living it right than a lot of the franchisors which are still great it's great to hear from them and hear their perspective but it's it's also very helpful for i think a lot of our audience who are looking into buying a franchise it's helpful for them to hear from people that are in it and not just hearing the rosy awesome side of things but the challenges mm-hmm. the good the bad and the ugly and all of it so you know that's that's where we're kind of pivoting to so yeah um, but that's great. Yeah, man. but anyway, today's not about that. Today's about uh, learning about you, Greg, and hearing your story and that sort of thing. So, um, let's dive into it, man. I mean, you know, obviously on this show we typically don't do the bio for you because nobody knows your story better than you. Sure. So, um, yeah, yeah. How did you get into franchising, and, and what is kind of your story, man? You know, we'll start there and then let's uh, let's go from there. Sure. Sure. No, no,
0: definitely. I'm um, so, you know, we kind of, um, briefly talked about it a little bit beforehand, but, um, but yeah, so I, I, grew up in, I grew up in South Carolina and, uh, you know, ended up, uh, ended up going to the university of South Carolina and played, uh, I ended up playing basketball there. So I, I played basketball at South Carolina for a couple of years and then ended up getting hurt and, uh, transferring. So I transferred to Walford uh, Wofford college, which is in a little small division one school in, uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. So, um, finished up there, uh, played three years there. And then, so, so really my story, uh, you know, professionally didn't start, um, until, so then I got to play professional basketball overseas. So I played, I played pro basketball in Greece actually for five years. So, um, in the, in the mid two thousands, uh, I was, I was over there. So I was, um, I'm a Greeks uh, now I have my Greek citizenship. I'm i I'm, I have a, have a, had a Greek background. So, um, it was sort of easier to, to transition over there and, and be able to, um, be able to get a, get, you know, get in. And so you sign a, sign a contract. I played in different, five different cities over the, over those five years. So just a really awesome, you know, super lucky to have been able to experience that. Uh, and, you know, I, I wanted to keep playing, but, but, you know, I was, I was, uh, we were talking Christian, I was, I was your age. I was, you know, in my late twenties and, you know, kind of said, Hey, um, you know, you don't want to be in your mid thirties, uh, you know, kind of still hanging on and, you know, not having a, um, not having some, something to sort of fall back on. And I've seen a lot, you know, I've seen that with a lot of former, former athletes and teammates of mine. And so, you know, I kind of had that, that moment, uh, but at the same time, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I was, uh, didn't really, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, didn't really have a lot of, um, a lot of translatable skills outside of playing sports and a college degree. So, and, and, you know, and I was 27, 28 years old. So anyway, I, I became a social worker, actually. Um, so my degree was in sociology. And so um, I joined uh, I joined the Department of Social Services in South Carolina. So I was a social worker for about for about six months. Um, and uh, and it's kind of interesting because um, I still remember my, uh, my paycheck was $734 every two weeks um, was, was the, was the, uh, social work paycheck and those, and, you know, I saw some stuff in those six months that, you know, you definitely deserve a lot more money, uh, and, and that field. So, uh, so yeah, I I did that. And then a buddy of mine, you know, kind of how I got into recruiting, a buddy of mine I went to high school with, uh, he, he called me and he said, Hey, you know, Waffle House is hiring a recruiter. And I was like, I don't know anything about recruiting. I'm sure you have to have a certification or something. Uh, and, uh, he said, No. Um, no, they'll, they'll interview you. And I said, well, I'm not, I got a college degree, man. I'm not working at Waffle House, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work in a really professional organization. Then, uh, you know, so he said, well, you're making $30,000 a year now. Um, so you, this one starts you at 36,000. So, uh, you know, it was one of those deals where it was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I should go to that interview then. So long story short, nine years later, I was, um, you know, I was still, uh, so I worked in South Carolina for a year with those folks, and then got promoted to to come to Florida uh, in 2012. Uh, and so I've been here ever since. And you know, didn't really have any connections to Florida, but kind of made a made a life uh, down here. And then, uh, sort of an executive recruiter reached out to me uh, 2019, and uh, you know, said this company, this large Taco Bell franchisee, is is looking to um, you know, really build a broad recruiting organization. And, you know, we like to, we like what you've done at Waffle House and your, you know, your, your athletic background that, you know, hopefully can relate to, you know, talent. And, um, and so, yeah, they gave me, gave me a shot and, um, and sort of here, here I am four years later. And, uh, so now we've built a, started with me sitting in a room and a computer kind of staring like, you know, what did I get myself into? Um, cause I don't, I don't know how I've never built a recruiting organization before now. And now we have a team of almost, you know, um, 15 people, I guess it is. So, so it's been pretty fun, man. It's been, been pretty fun. So sorry for the long winded um, version, I guess, but that, that's, that's
2: sort of my, my story. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that. So, Taco Bell, I mean, obviously, I think everyone on this, uh, this podcast has probably eaten there. I, I went to Arizona State for school myself. And so they had a very, very uh, busy Taco Bell location on the corner of uh, Apache and rural, I think it was. At oh, nice. Two a. two a.m. All the kids would be there. They'd be packed to the brim with a bunch of drunk drunk kids. But yeah. it was really cool. Was, you know, I can't even imagine. I mean, that that franchise owner uh, must have been ranked in the dough. But so I think everyone knows Taco Bell. Yeah. But um, wh- what are what are some of the highlights of of working with Taco Bell? I mean, what's what's it like working uh, with the Taco Bell franchisee? What's the culture like? And you know, how does that? Yeah.
0: No, it was, it was really interesting. I, you know, I've listened to a couple of you guys' um, podcasts over the last few days and, you know, something that, that struck me just hearing from y'all is, is for me, it was the biggest transition coming. So, I, so I worked for Taco, so for, for Waffle. I always get, I always say Taco Bell when I mean Waffle House. Uh, but I actually, so I worked for Waffle House on the corporate side. So, Waffle House has no. Um, they they moved from largely from about a half and half franchise model to to taking back over most of those franchises, and I think with the goal of becoming fully corporate uh, over through the years. So, so in, in, long story short, it's more of a corporate organization. You know, you have your corporate hierarchy and uh, that the sort of bureaucracy that comes with that, um, which is, is good in a lot of ways, but also, you know, um, less sort of autonomy for, you know, creativity and things like that. And now coming to the franchise world where it was a real eye opening experience for me, because, you know, I I was, I remember four years ago sitting in that office saying like, waiting for direction, right. Waiting for somebody to like it, because in a corporate environment, they're going to tell you what they want. And, you know, and you just sort of, implement that plan. And so after about a week, I realized that no nobody was coming to tell me, uh, you know, tell me anything. And so that was my first sort of foray into understanding the difference between the franchise mentality and a corporate mentality. And so over the, the last four years, over these last four years, I've come to the realization that I'm more uh, comfortable in that environment, then, then, uh, you know, I don't think I could go back to working in a corporate environment again after, after being part of a, a part of a, uh, you know, franchise. So that's, that's been my experience, been very positive in that sense um, because of it. Yeah.
2: So, so you're with, um, it's a SEQSR is the, is the, is the franchisees. What does that stand for something? And then what's it like being a part of that organization?
0: Yeah. So we have several entities, um, but we have about, so we have about 200 restaurants um, and we're across five states. So we have um, uh, a good portion of the majority, I'd say the majority of our stores are in Florida. Uh, However, um, we're throughout the Southeast essentially. Um, And we build five to seven new stores a year. Um, And so, so that's kind of our our footprint. Um, And um, I forgot what you said, what you asked me before, Um, but, but that's kind of our footprint. Two hundred stores, yes, sir. under the umbrella, and you said it's a. This is a privately held. We are, yeah. So we are. We're privately held by one owner. So we're very unique in that sense. And you know, most companies. I mean, we're in the top four or five largest Taco
1: Bell franchises in the country. Yeah. Um, this. Go ahead. Yeah. Wait. So this is this is an interesting concept to to unpack a bit for our listeners. So, yeah, one owner. If you don't like, just for like the short version of like where did this owner come from? Like sure. he bought one store is very, very, very wealthy or yeah. career, like where did he start?
0: No. So he's, so he has an investment banking background. So, so he okay. came 30 years ago from the, I think he was in the chase rotational program in New York city. And, and um he quickly found out he didn't want to be on wall street. And so he, he was—he's very entrepreneurial. So I think he's—I think he actually started. It was so he—he he grew his first businesses in Atlanta, um, and so he really—he started with—I uh, want to say porta potties. So they had like, they had like eighty porta potties or something, and they would truck them around to different places. Him and his business partner, that still is our COO today. So they got a really cool story um, in that sense. So yeah, so he was, uh, and he had—he had investors along the way, but—but um, but he since um, taking over most of it, um, most of it, um, himself. So it's kind of unique in the sense that we're not beholden to some private equity group that's, that kind of pulls the strings to what we do. It's just, it's one guy. And, um, and so he, and he's in it for the long haul. So it's kind of nice. That's amazing. So
1: let's talk about this a little bit first. So there's one guy and what does that org structure look like? Like, is it, him and then you, you, you as the, or the CEO running some of the show and then you like how does that work to, to run two hundred stores yeah. like that?
0: Yeah, so we have a CEO, a COO, and and the a head of operations. So, um, so the CEO is you know the, the CEO and COO they came from finance, so they're finance background guys. So our organization really has a theme of more of a an investment banking firm than it does a restaurant organization, um, and that's probably why it, we're. Uh, we're I think we're number one or two in the rankings for talk, that Taco Bell supplies that we don't even supply the rankings, but we're we're up there and we, you know so we have a pretty fast paced high um, you know uh, uh, high intensity company in that sense, but but yeah so CEO COO head of operations and and then you have the different department leaders so you know you'll have HR uh, I'm the director of talent acquisition um,
1: facilities um, construction all that so it's interesting because this is a, a topic of debate often about you know Owning a business and having operating partners or having people you know run the business. This is at the extreme where someone's able to own 200 locations. Sure. And I have a friend that owns 120 Popeyes, and he is definitely right. outside. It's a village. This whole family is involved. It's amazing. But um, like whole, like the entire like uncles and aunts and everyone. Yeah. it's, a, it's an empire. You see that base. a lot
0: in Popeyes, actually. I've talked to a lot of folks that you see that same that same theme.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, yeah. I'll never forget because when my early 20s, I was a business broker and I listed their, uh, the Parikh family. They have, they had, you know, smash burgers. They hired Mm -hmm. me to list it. And I thought he was like Bobby Axelrod, man. They came in he's like, you know, I just trying to make some money today. Like he's very casual. Yeah. yeah. Me too, man. 120 Popeyes. But so, so on this topic though, so they, 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 there's this org chart that's in place. Um, and then is does and maybe you can't get into details, but like, are the managers involved in like the, the EBITDA performance of the business yeah. is everyone trying to you know how does that work?
0: No, that's a great question, and um, and you know, um, no, happy to talk about that. What I, what I would say is. We are, and we're very, we're probably unique other than, uh, you know, coming from other brands um, because we do allow the GMs to see their PLs and, and they manage their PL. So, you know, it's that same, that same, you know, vein that runs through, I think, our whole company. It's that, that sort of business ownership mentality. Uh, and so, yeah, so they, they see their PLs. You know, we train them to, you know, we, we have furthering education and training constantly on how to manage your PL, how to manage your labor. Um, whereas a lot of other companies I've seen, There's no line of sight to the P and L. It's, you know, um, particularly in corporate organizations.
1: I, sorry, I I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Like, you know, you know, my, my background's been in business and, and in franchising. I, when I launched Playbook, I, this past summer after exiting my business, I became obsessed with the private equity structure. I'm fascinated by how they're able to run businesses and everyone is, is, is aligned. And so I spent a lot of time learning about structuring companies. And so when we structured playbook, it's we're kind of like P and the way we structured our, our, business and everyone, see, I believe in that full transparency. There's a great book out there called the great game of business. Okay. And that book talks about, um, it, yeah, it's the great game of business. And it's, um, it talks about basically this level of management where people can see the P and L total transparency. And at the end of the day, like if you're working at Amazon as a corporate person, um, You could see that the business is spitting off a certain amount, Jeff Bezos worth a certain amount. Mm -hmm. This is an extreme, but like, you don't then say, well, Jeff, I deserve way more. The market pays you what you're able to make. Like you can't just say, well, you're making billions, so I need to make millions, right? So this belief that like, as a business owner, if you take the financial risk and you put the time, you you deserve the, the capital that you're making. but when your team can see what the business is making as long as you're of course paying them you're well yeah um people you'd be surprised when people see hey wow we're not making as much as I thought it's way harder wow we were we lost money this month now they have some ownership in it, mm-hmm. and so that's that's really interesting how you guys keep that yeah
0: structured oh, you know I was going to ask you guys a question if you if you had seen this in your um franchise experience, but um you know what I've seen over the years and I, I'm a great example of the story I guess is is that large franchises, uh, and my CEO told me this and I'd never seen it before, but large franchises pull the best talent from corporate organizations because they can, they usually can pay more um, because, you know, you just have that latitude. So and, and obviously if they're very forward thinking and aggressive in adding talent, um, but, but have you guys seen that um, in your franchise world? Have you seen a lot of talent being plucked from, from corporate organizations
2: because of that? I think it's a question that you probably better be able to answer, Dan
1: well i can tell you that i went out to launch a franchise or and quickly realized if i built the vision of a platform and that was the goal i could attract much different people because they wanted to build a larger vision mm-hmm. uh so yes we definitely get people pl- applying from private equity backed organizations mm-hmm. um but that's because like i mean when you think about like a startup and a certain culture that playbook has we definitely have like that like I almost think of like the the not the negative parts, but like the highlights of a tech company, but applied to franchising. You know, it's it's we're we're tight knit. I mean, my team, you know, we work, we we talk seven days a week. We're all becoming good friends. or, you know, it's I can't explain the culture. It's, sure. it's unique. Um, my goal and vision is to to very much preserve that, no matter how much we grow. Um, so yes, we do attract people from a bigger companies, but they have to come. Everything has a pro and con, so sure. they come into you know, we're going to have some bumps and some issues and everything's not going to be perfectly buttoned up. Yeah. And so, yeah, it depends on the person. Yeah,
0: for sure. For sure. You got I me, mean, you got to find talent anywhere you can. But I guess the point I was trying to make is that, you know, the the corporate organizations, you know, you kind of have a ceiling in a lot of those, um, even if you're very successful, which I thought, you know, I thought it was pretty successful in that, in that world. But, you know, there's always sort of that, um, you know, the ceiling where you know, it, it, at some point it comes time to, you know, look outside and, and the franchise world's oftentimes a, a great place to, to, to advance your
2: career. No doubt. Yeah. What what I'm loving about this conversation is because I think so many people, when they think of franchising, they they see somebody or maybe they know somebody and that person owns one location or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people really fully understand exactly how scalable the franchise model is. And and just how much wealth you can truly build within franchising. If you do own several locations, mm-hmm. I mean, and granted, you don't need to own 200 to build sure. a massive wealth, you know, massive asset, massive income for yourself and for your team and to be able to give back and do all these great things. But, but it's, what's so nice about talking to you is, is just to hear that it's, it's possible. And, and so I guess what I'm curious about mm-hmm. and, You've you've been with them now for four years, right? Or just about? Yeah, just about four years, Christian. So how how many how many locations did they have when you first came on, and then they have about two hundred now? You said.
0: Yeah, we have about two hundred. Um, we were in the IHOP world as well mm-hmm. when I came on, so I was the director of talent acquisition for fifty IHOP restaurants as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we were in that world, and then we were in the Pizza Hut world before I came about, but and with you know forty or fifty of those as well. But um, but now we're all Taco Bell, so. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, um, you know, it came about, um, so, so I guess, yeah, we built five to seven a year. I think, I think it was about, I think we had about 170, you know, cause we'll offset some here or there, uh, if towns move down the road, you know, mm. and lease, lease runs out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, um, so, so we're, we're right at, uh, probably, you know, 10, 15% more. We probably slowed down. Uh, we built a couple of stores less during COVID like everybody did, sure. um, it's kind of, Slowed down a bit, but um, but yeah, that's been a really that's been honestly the, the most exciting thing for me uh, being in this company is just becoming more well rounded because you're in, and when you're in the franchise world, you're just exposed to way more of the business. Um, you know it at Waffle House. You know, I saw my recruiting world, and that was kind of where it ends. Um, you know they, you know, there's really no value um, that you can add outside of that. Uh, but you know, I've learned so much about construction and development and real estate i mean i get more excited when i'm listening to the real estate presentations than i do half of the time on my own um just because that commercial real estate is uh you know that whole that whole bucket is just so fascinating to me like you know where to move stores i mean it's like they say it's like playing monopoly that's our ceo he's like it's just all it is is monopoly
2: i mean that's you can you can make it complicated but that's what it is i love that so i'm just trying to get a, a sense of how the scaling was done because there's different strategies Mm -hmm. to scale and, you know, you could build the location from scratch. You can grow through acquisition by acquiring Mm -hmm. other existing stores. How, How, how primarily how you guys scaled, or at least since you've been there.
0: No, great question. So we were built through acquisitions, Christian. We so we were built through five acquisitions, and then obviously we add to those uh, as we build. Um, and so that's why when you say we're Southeast QSR, I don't even think I answered the question, but um, Southeast QSR uh, is one of our entities. So, um, so but it's kind of we're, we're common. You if you have five entities, you got to be known by something. So, right. um, so historically we've been you know Southeast QSR. I think was the first acquisition. So anyway, we're we're kind of commonly referred to, and and that's what I made our LinkedIn. Um, you know. Page is to call a Southeast QSR, so so yeah, built through acquisitions and um and then continue to grow for sure. Wait, so then let
1: me ask. go ahead, Dan. Oh, I'm sorry. What would you say? Like, what do you think? Like, I'm just curious because, like, I'm, I want to apply this idea that mm-hmm. someone at a large scale has 200 businesses running semi absentee, if you will, like it's not in the day to day. This yeah. is the owner from the owners. Met- what do you think the day to day for? the, the owner is, it, it, if anything, is he involved or, or is it pretty much hands-off or is it, yeah. uh, I'm assuming that's a pretty, a lot of financial uh, controller type work, mm-hmm. but CFO type work, but yeah, what is, what do you think the day looks like?
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And it varies wildly from, I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of uh, CEOs from other organizations and, and other executives from other organizations and it runs the gamut of a CEO that's, you know, that's in the office from, you know, seven in the morning to six at night every day to the CEO like ours. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that, like to a CEO that is totally, totally hands off and, you know, just kind of shows up at the quarterly meetings. Um, ours is very, our, our CEO is very much involved in the business on a day to day. He is the CFO. He jokes that we'll never have a CFO because then what would he do? Um, but, uh, but yeah, so he's, he's our, he's essentially our CFO with his banking background or investment banking background. Um, but yeah, he's, he's in it. Uh, he's in it. He's a, he's a passionate, um, you know sixty something year old man um I can tell you that I've never met anybody that is has the drive for excellence um that this guy does you know you don't point is you don't you don't stumble across two hundred restaurants, I guess put it that way um, <laughs> yeah, you know, right, you know uh, <laughs> he lives it like you guys say,
2: yeah, no doubt, definitely doesn't happen by accident. you have to be pretty intentional to achieve that level of growth, yeah, no definitely, I,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I know for me, like I thought I worked hard before and now I realized I wasn't working hard. This is hard. Being a franchisor is hard, harder in a good way, but to get, I can't imagine what it takes to build 200 stores. It takes hard work, but also consistent for 30 years. Like you said, it's, it's the mm-hmm. lifestyle that he chose to, to pursue.
0: Yeah. When it comes down I, what what I think separates somebody that, you know, has the capacity for, you know, maybe 10 stores or 15 stores we have some little small franchises smaller franchises around here and i think the difference is his uh, his ability to like leverage um you know credit and leverage you know financing is just expert level is probably not even high enough of what this guy is i mean he's he knows so uh, intricately you know how a business works financially and how to leverage to, you know, to buy more businesses or to, or when is the, he's actually made some of his best decisions have been to shed and sell, you know, um, uh, uh, 10 stores here. Um, you know, so he's, he's just really forward thinking and, and he can really see, that's what I admire about our CEO is, is number one skill outside of obviously the financing and the finance piece that, that a lot of smaller franchises don't have. But he's, I think what separates him is he's able to see what's going to happen. And he's done this time and time again, since I've been here, he's able to see, the headwinds that are coming um, before they happen, and 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 frankly before it's you know um, the the industry sees it and before other franchises uh, see it, we, we raise wages. We had to be really aggressive on raising wages over the last year. Um, you know, literally overnight, we did. I mean, we it was a nine one one for us. He was like, I want you to put all five thousand employees in a bucket, and they're of what, you know, whatever bucket they're in, they're going to get that raised and, and like overnight. So, and he was doing this before other people were. And I, and I think it really kept us afloat during those times during COVID uh, or during the sort of the, the COVID recovery period where no nobody was coming back to work. Um, you know, he was, he was uh, forward thinking enough to raise wages and we opened our dining rooms well before most other folks did. So anyway, I think that's his, his probably biggest skill is he just sees things before other people do.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's let's dive into that because obviously we're we're at in the market cycle everyone is thinking we're either in a recession or we're heading into one and inflation has been high and now it's it's slowing down a little bit now but usually that you know there's a reason for that and that might be because the economy is slowing down so yeah. what what sort of economic headwinds right now are influencing decisions i mean i guess we know the 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 headwinds that are maybe influencing the decisions but what are what what kind of whatever you guys can talk about but you know what kind of decision-making is happening now. I mean, what is what is he seeing on the horizon and what sort of mm-hmm. decisions are being made to to deal with that?
0: Yeah. Well, I think for us in 2023, our sort of priority or, or I guess um, mantra maybe is just getting back to pre-COVID running a business. Um, I mean, we were for so many years there, We, you know, you're in the thick of it just trying to beg people to show up and beg people to, uh, you know, to come to an interview and, um, and then, you know, you're just throwing labor at the problem. Right. And, you know, in our business, you know, labor is, you know, the majority of your bottom line, right. Um, or, or a good portion of it. So, so just running a more efficient business, like we were in pre COVID times and not just sort of throwing things against the wall because, you know, we are, we are out of, um, you know, out of, largely out of COVID and, and, and a lot of those things that we were doing. So, Um, so that's, that's on the, that's on the sort of the priority side. And I think a lot of people are doing that fewer, better people. I think that's what is, um, that, you know, we want to, we want to pay the most in the industry. Um, and we want to have really productive people because, you know, the, the, the day, I mean, you're, you're starting a business, Dan, the, the day, the day and age of having 15 team members on the floor for every shift is, is gone. You know, you have to have three, four, five really. And obviously your business may is probably very different, but in the restaurant business, the days of the McDonald's having 15 people on a shift is over, you know, you need five, six, seven people maybe on a busy shift, but you know, with the wages, what we, what you have to pay to get talent now, it just can't sustain, you know,
1: kind of mass, mass uh, staffing um, model. Yeah. That's a challenge that I don't, I don't know how you, you solve it other than, you know, obviously some, some supplementation uh, with, with technology, which obviously is not, loved by by anyone in, sure. in, in work. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know where well, we you raised the prices of, uh, of the hamburger, which.
0: Well, we've is, done that. We've done that too. Um, and like everyone I mean, else has, I think. I mean, the
1: taco, sorry.
0: Yeah. The taco. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, the tacos are not a, uh, not a dollar 50 anymore. Like, um, once upon a time. Um, but, uh, but no, you have, you have to take pricing. And I mean, you know, we can pay people. I always tell people we can pay people whatever you want us to pay them. We'll pay them $20, $30 an hour, but you know, your, your nachos bel
2: grande may be $11, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to I fired my boss and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting though. Like, <laughs> This is why you know I do think, and, and I may be wrong, but this is a theory that I've started to have, which is that you know Taco Bell, Dunkin' Donuts, gyms, anything brick and mortar where it's it's just a little bit different. They come to you into the box. They they have the experience. They leave the box of the the place. I think that is much easier. The margins might be different than home services. I think that is why it's able to have two hundred. I think to have two hundred, you know. Uh, And you don't need to because the home services is different in the sense that it's, you know, you can grow in a market and penetrate more. But, you know, I think that if you said to me, what's more semi-absentee, it's definitely brick and mortar. It's not Mm -hmm. home service. Because I see a trend in home services where people try to say, oh, it's semi-absentee. It's very hard to run a Mm -hmm. home services business without having a lot of involvement in the beginning, at least. Whereas I think a Taco Bell model lends itself to being able to scale uh, to 200. I don't want to say easier, but it is more scalable in that sense. What what do you think, Christian
0: or or Greg? Well, it's less about building, say, I mean, you're, you're trying to build business, right? You're trying to build business. And uh, whereas, you know, Taco Bell corporate, I mean, Taco Bell has about the best marketing team that you'll find. And, right. I mean, go try yeah. to turn your TV on and not see a Taco Bell ad like, you know, or a sporting event or whatever. So, you know, we have a really strong you know, they have a really strong national marketing um, platform. So for us, it's not as much about building sales as it is about running a really good established business. But, you know, you're so you're in a space where you got to, you got to, you know, you got to find, find clients and find business. So that's a hands-on deal there, man.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, and this is what I've heard from a lot of the other professionals in the industry as well. Look, home services, in many cases, especially at the beginning, it's, it might be a lower investment initially, right? There's no build out required. It's, you know, home-based in some cases, but like you said, it's, it's more of a sales driven organization, more of a lead generation. It's more of a marketing driven organization. Uh, you're not waiting for people are not coming to you. You have to go to the people you have to find those people. And, at the end of the day, yeah, I think brick and mortar lends itself to being a little bit more semi-absentee because of that. You're not having to motivate and run and manage sales teams or at least manage the person that's running those sales teams. So I mean, I think you can be semi-absentee in in home services, but you really have to do it right. Because if you're not compensating the general manager correctly and they dip, mm-hmm. you're kind of SOL. And, and it depends on Your team and the leadership, it's not just about the general manager. It's also about everybody else, like your assistant managers and everyone else on your team Mm -hmm. or who's your salesperson and your operations lead or whatever. Those people need to really be bought in and they need to be developing themselves personally and they need to be getting Mm -hmm. mentored and coached by the GM and by you as the franchisee so that if something does happen to the GM, you don't have to necessarily go out and hire outside, although you can. But you have people within right. the organization that can step up to the plate and maybe step in as GM. So, and that takes time to do. It takes time to build those people up, and you know. But yeah, I, I would agree with with Dan, where I think that uh, a lot of brick and mortar does lend itself more to, uh, uh, to to being able to be semi absentee, um, you know, from from the gate even, and and then even over time as well. Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: You, I mean, it's a lot of ways to approach it. You know, you can if you're, you know, let's say you got one McDonald's or one, um, you know, Taco Bell. Well, you know, uh, if you can, you know, manage that business for maybe a year before you hire a GM, you know, you can really get it up and running and have some money to reinvest back in the business. But you know, if you kind of go right out of the gate and you got to pay somebody eighty grand a year, um, you know, uh, it's it's probably going to be a little more um, a little more pressure there at the beginning. But but you know, Dan's business when he's starting. He's, you know, as soon as he builds builds the sales and builds, um, you know, client base, then the next thing is developing people, right? But you got to have the sales first because you're not going to have a team without the sales. And whereas at Taco Bell, you're really, in meet, from day one, when we open a new restaurant, we're trying to build a stable, um, you know, uh, management team and then thereby, you know, an hourly team after that. But, but um, you know, it's it's all people, you know, so we're, we're super people focused um, and, and you have to be, or otherwise you're going to have to close your lobby or, you know, run on limited hours. There's, you know, it's
2: just a different, different landscape these days. Yeah, no doubt. It, it really depends on how much margin you have to work with too, right? Um, no, a hundred percent. And how much, yeah. you, know, how much uh, you know, what ramp up period you can, you can, you know, stomach and deal with and the financial position of the franchisee. But um something I am curious about, and I don't know if this is something you can talk about, so feel free to not answer this if, if, if not, but. um yeah. Like a, a Taco Bell, opening up a Taco Bell is not cheap. I haven't looked at their FTD recently, but you know it's a it's a pretty hefty investment for the traditional location, right?
0: For for like an initial investment for a Taco Bell, you know, uh, um I, I'm probably embarrassed to say this, but I have no idea what it costs for an and an a, a single Taco Bell because obviously, um, mm-hmm. you know, we had a we had a a, a big portion of it, and also he bought those from building other businesses and then obviously taking that money and, and getting into Taco Bell. But um, but I don't know what one Taco Bell would cost uh, as far as, well, you,
2: you're talking like kind of franchise startup fee type yeah, of- Yeah, and uh, you know. all in initial investment to get started. I mean, it's it's up in the millions, I thought. You know, Is for, really? For, for many of them. But but if you're growing by I acquisition, you know, I mean, there's different ways that you can get creative in terms of the way that you acquire them. I don't know if you know much about the structure of what the, uh, the owner does acquire some of these brands, but I mean, seller financing is, is huge if people are willing to sell or finance. Um, yeah, we, we'd like to, I mean, he he's,
0: he's got a, um, you know, he's got a pretty strong real estate background. So, you know, we like to have, we'd like to have the land, mm. um, if we can, uh, because then, you know, you're essentially paying yourself rent there. So, um, so, you know, we like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's when I go back to that monopoly analogy, it's sort of like, he said in the, in the real estate uh, world for us, it's like, where do we put four houses? Where do we, where do we put a hotel? Um, and so it's kind of that same mentality when, when you're looking, you know, where to, where to build these Taco Bells, but, but yeah, it's all, I mean, it's all creative, uh, through creative financing and, um, you know, leveraging your, your current business that you have. And I mean, I think he, he bought them at very low, uh, multiples and to get into a Taco Bell now is stupid. Um, multiples uh, like six or seven or something like that. Um, and so I think we bought them at four, three or four or something like that. Wow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, so yeah, it's the, that's the other, that's the other piece of it. it is what, what brand are you behind? You know, this better than anybody, but you know, Taco Bell, I can say is, um, it's pretty insane. The margins, I, I would just say that, um, they're, they're incomparable in the industry. Um, being that, you know, the burger, the burger folks, um, much less margin, um, just cause a hamburger costs more to make than a taco. I think a taco a couple of years ago was like 26 cents to make. Um, man, what do you sell it back then? It was probably a dollar sixty, or now it's probably like $2. So, um, I mean, so just, just, uh, it's the, you know, a big Mac costs more, I guess is the point oh, for sure. Um, or, or a burger cost more, uh, to make. So it's a, it's, it's great to be behind a, a really good brand, I think is the, is, you know, you know, but like I say, you know, better than anybody, but you got to pick a good brand and, you know, Taco Bell is, um, is, is really forward thinking and they have a great market, national marketing campaign. I mean, yeah, they just check a lot of the boxes and then obviously the margins, um, you know, certainly help
2: as well. So it's just, it's a really good business. Absolutely. So I know you've mentioned before that you, uh, that, uh, SEQSR had, owned, um, quite a few IHOPs and quite a few pizza huts. Um, what do you know about the decision or what was the thought process behind transitioning out of those and then just going full force with Taco Bell? Yeah. So
0: Southeast QSR, uh, didn't own it. It was another company, but yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. No, I get what you're saying, but, um, but, but so the IHOPs were always a small part of the business as far as, you know, our uh, well for return first, but, um, but also sort of our efforts, um, you know, they were, uh, they, they sort of, uh, we kind of ran them a little bit more, um, I guess you say passively because we had, we had pretty um, stable managements in there. Um, but really through COVID is what sped it up. Um, it was probably something that was going to happen down the road. Um, but within three weeks, um, you know, of COVID, uh, it just, it just uh, sped up that process of, you know, Uh, I mean, we were literally, um, you know, doing like $20 in sales, like, uh, for a shift. Um, and so you just can't hemorrhage money for that long. Um, you know, Waffle House, where I came from, um, furloughed all of the recruiters, uh, within two weeks of, of COVID happening. So you just saw this sort of whiplash, um, you know, of, of, um, whether it be downsizing or eliminating or furloughing all the things that happened and uh, you know we were not um, we weren't uh, you know, we were not uh, immune to that but luckily obviously if you had a drive- through you were on the opposite side so it's like our ihop business um, obviously struggled through that and then uh, and on the other side we we're doing record sales and drive- through and, and still continue um, to do record sales weekend and week out um, in the taco Bell business so it's kind of kind of
2: interesting to see the both. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, the, the, the thing that's tough with IHOP is during the pandemic, there isn't exactly a, a drive through for pancakes. So, uh, no,
0: and they don't travel well either.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so eggs can, and pancakes
0: are not are not good travel, uh, catering items either. But, you know, they tried the, the anybody that had a, you know, sit down presence that, you know, couldn't serve food through the drive through, you had to get really creative back then. So, you know, catering became a huge thing. Mm. And, um, and then, you know, I think it, the digital, really was sped up. Um, you know, people's uh, willingness to use digital. I mean, digital was always, you know, mobile orders was always, you know, a couple of percents of our sales. And now it's like 10, um, if not in some markets, 20. Um, so, you know, people are getting more comfortable with that mobile ordering, uh, mobile, mobile
2: ordering uh, feature as well. So that's, that's kind of a development that's been interesting. I got it. No, nah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah technology. And and people are getting pretty addicted to convenience. I mean, we've already, I mean, most of us, we've grown up in, you know, relative convenience, but I mean, some of the stuff you can do now with Amazon Prime and everything. I mean, it's crazy. And so, yeah, ordering, ordering and using that app is, it's helpful. Uber eats and all that. So for sure, for sure. So, so where do you guys go now as an organization? I mean, cause in so many people's minds, I'm sure that are listening to this, they're like, all right, 200 plus Taco Bells, you kind of won the game, right? I mean, is it, time to put the sure, monopoly sure. pieces back in the box? Or is it, I mean, I'm of the mindset that you're either growing or you're dying. Maintaining sure. maintenance is a myth. I don't think that you're going to maintain. The, the market shifts, landscapes change. You have to be dynamic and be able to pivot. So there's no such thing as just keeping what you have and staying still. You're either growing and advancing mm-hmm. or you're shrinking back. So what are the goals of the organization? Where you guys looking to move forward? Is it? Are you guys looking to get to 300 Taco Bells, 500 are you looking to expand into other brands? What's the what's the mindset?
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question and and I've I've asked that same question um you know when I when I first started after I was here for a few months I was like how is this guy on fire so much? Like he's already made it. Like the, he's he's there. Uh and you know how does he have this burning, you know, sort of uh desire for excellence and you know so it was very inspiring first of all but um but just to see that drive was really cool and i mean that's that's why you know he's he, he is where he is but but, you know, that, but at the same time he doesn't stop like you know and 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 thereby you know we um we sort of follow that lead in the sense of you know we want to be the best taco bell organization there is um we don't he doesn't care and we don't care about size um you know we're not trying to have 3 or 400 stores um you know we're slow and steady like that there's a reason why he has you know like i say he has this many that are been so successful for so long, you know. He's I think fifteen years or so. He's had him, but and it's because of the slow and steady growth. You know, he's not a. You've seen him before. Everybody's seen. Uh, man, there's ten coffee shops in my town, and you know, um, and I didn't even know there was one. And and then a year later, the ten coffee shops are closed, right? And you and and uh, because you know you don't have time to build that infrastructure, and maybe your financing maybe is not always mm. where it needs to be, and you're sort of overly leveraged and all of that. And so he's. He's, uh, you know, he's been smart not to make those decisions and just that slow and steady growth and, um, and so that's really the 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 goal for us moving forward is, like I said, to, to run a more efficient business, um, and and just have fewer better people. We want to keep raising the level of talent in the organization, you know, which is obviously my job. Um, so so that's a that's a big part of what we're trying to do is, um, you know, we want to be the we want to be better than Taco Bell corporate. We want to be better than any other large franchise. Um, and we're, you know, we're, we're pretty, pretty close to there now, but but yeah, you know, continued, uh, like you say, continued growth or, um, or, you know, you get stagnant. So, right. um, so yeah, we've, we've done a lot of succession planning over the year, over these last few years too, cause we, you know, we had a lot of legacy leadership that had been with us for, you know, since the beginning essentially. And, um, so a lot of our market leaders were, you know, getting near retirement and, um, and so that was a big part of why I came on. So, um, and so, yeah, we've added a lot of, a lot of
2: strong talent to the business in the last couple of years. It's fantastic. Yeah. So it sounds like you're not trying to, you know, do bite off more than you can chew. You're you're doing it smart and strategically if you do grow. But a lot of it sounds like you guys are just trying to grow at the unit level, you know, grow the units you already have, run more efficient operations, grow the revenue that you have. And then I'm sure if opportunities come to add more, you guys will, but but you're not doing it in a way that's irresponsible and too much too soon, which makes a ton of sense to me. No, you know, the challenge
0: though, Christian, is that, you know... Where do you know that it has a? Ta- that, I mean, how far are you from a Taco Bell right now? Not far, not far. So most people aren't, and so you know you can't just plot, You know, it's not. I heard you on another podcast talk about it. it you know, it really makes a difference. Um, you know, uh, if you if you're in a more of an emerging brand, you can have a, a territory and kind of build where you want, and you can own that market. You know, you got to get really creative with uh, with growing Taco Bells because you can't just plop one down next to another one because with the impact um, that you'd have, so you have to really be creative. And where you, where you put them. And so that's, that's why, um that's why we have such a, you know, um such an in-depth research process from our real estate team with, as they're identifying sites and all that. Cause, you know, uh, I think, and for example, in Tampa, I think there's 42 DMAs that you can build Taco Bells in and 39 of them you can't build a Taco Bell in. So, yeah. um you know, so you gotta, you know, that's why you see, you're seeing a lot of more rural areas being real growth markets and why a lot of folks are moving to the Southeast and companies are coming to Texas and Florida because, you know, you still have an element of, of, um, you know, obviously no state income tax and things like that, but you have uh, also more, more, um, you know, more geography and, you know, uh, rural, rural areas that you can grow your brand um, as well. So
2: makes, makes total sense to me, man. Um, Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, I think this was awesome. I think this was really exciting for people to hear just how, Big you can get as a franchisee. I mean, the sky really is the limit. And so I I encourage people to dream big. I mean, if, if you're cool with just one location, awesome. You know, make sure you communicate that, that that vision to your team. But if you do want to grow, you know, there's no reason you should stop at three or five. You could grow into 200 if you want, right? You don't have to, but it just seems, it just seems like so much fun. And again, when you think about it in terms of Monopoly and you, and you almost gamify it. I think it just sounds like mm-hmm. a blast to be able to do that because you're changing lives along the way all the people that are a part of the organization the skills that they're learning and and uh you know bringing some tasty food uh, all across America man I love that, uh, that contrast. supreme. (laughs) You got, you got to have it. You got to have it.
0: Uh, No, I'll just, I'll just say one more thing I I was, I was going to say for, you know, for folks that are listening that, you know, maybe, maybe starting their career or or, are potentially looking to talk to you to get into a franchise or or some other business, you know, because obviously you're, you're going to have a lot of entrepreneurs that, that, you know, look to you guys. Um, What I would just say is, you know... This company that, that our CEO built did not come. He didn't wake up one morning and say, I want to buy 200 Taco Bells. Right. You know, he built it through. I mean, I, I mentioned, I don't know if um, we talked about it earlier, but I mentioned the, I think they started with porta potties. So it was like, mm-hmm. you know, 30 porta potties. So, you know, it, 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 you know, it could be vending machines. It could be, you know, it could be if you have an entrepreneurial spirit you know, you roll that stuff into, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you make this business successful, this small business, then you can roll it into, you know, something larger. And, uh, you know, and there's, like you have mentioned before, plenty of financing options out there to do that. But, but that's, the, it's attainable. Um, but you just, you, you know, you start on, even if it's, you know, you start with one vending machine. And it's amazing how quick um, and how, how quickly that can turn into something um, much bigger than
2: you thought in, in a very short period of time. So. Exactly. Just put one foot in front of the other. And just focus on growth. It doesn't have to be trying to punch the lights out, just one foot at a time, one store at a time, one additional territory at a time. And, and as long as you're growing your people and, and, and you're having fun, I think, you know, as long as you're enjoying the journey, which I'm sure mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the, the, the franchisee that you work with that, that blew this up with you guys and with your help, you know, I'm sure he had a blast doing it. Right. And, and, and that's probably why he's oh, yeah. continuing to be so involved because it's probably fun for him. So, you know, so I, I think. It's 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 easy to get to focus just on the, the the destination and getting to however many locations it is that you maybe have in mind. But just start start building, have fun with the process, and then maybe someday you wake up where you're at the point where you have a massive franchise organization as a franchisee and you have 200 plus stores.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's fun and it's um it, like you say, slow and steady is it wins the race, and um you know, but passion is is where it starts, and you know RCO and and uh, I like to thank myself as well, have, um, have a, um, you know, passion for people. And if you have that and you, you want, you want to grow people, you know, that's what, that's our, what our CEO does all day, every day. He, he says, if he has a business, if he had a business card, it would just say people development. Um, mm. because, you know, so we, we have a head of professional development in our company. So he, you know, he's looking at Christian's, um, career path and saying, Hey, here's what you've, how long you've been here? What is the next thing for you? Uh, what do you need to work on? You know, here's a three sixty feedback from your peers. Like you know, you just don't see that in restaurant organizations uh, broadly. and so I'm really proud that, um you know we 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 don't just talk about you know, everybody says they want to develop people, but are you putting salary behind it? Are you putting resources behind it? Um you know, and that's that's that, that's kind of the proofs in the pudding there. so so yeah, that's that's um that's a great message for sure. Yeah, it's
2: such a different mentality. No doubt about it, man. It's a way different mentality coming from corporate to coming into a, you know, an organization like this. Um, I, I yeah. love that so much. Having, if I could put one thing on my business card, it would be, what was it? People management or, or, or people? Well, people development, people, people
0: development or training. Yeah. I think not yeah. you either said people development or training, but that's, I mean, that's
2: all it is. You right. Know? If you can get good at building up people, everything else will fall into place. That's what I, the routine theme that I hear from so many franchisees and franchisors I talk to. If you can build up people and push up people, and care about them, and 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 mm-hmm. it's not about you; it's about what you can do for them and how you can serve them as a leader. And if you focus on that, everything else will fall into place for you. And they're going to be happy, and you're going to have a lot of great friends and great relationships with the people that work with you. And and you're going to be a happy camper. So, man, I, I love that 100%. people people developer. I got to put that on my my business card. <laughs> people developer.
0: People developer. Yeah, that, no, it definitely is. Uh, it, it's it's what keeps it going, and you know. I'm a recruiter, right? So I'm looking for outside talent, but you know, you can only hire so much external, uh, you know, you have to develop internal. Mm. Um, and so I, always, we always try to strike a balance with that because, you know, you don't want to have a hundred percent internal promotions either because you erode your talent very quickly. However, you can't have a hundred percent external either because then you erode the culture and you erode the career path and motivation, you know, sort of, That motivation. Yeah. For, you know, where's the carrot, where's the next carrot for the employee? If, if you just, if they know that you're just going to hire somebody outside to be their boss. So what doesn't matter anyway. Um, And so, but there's a really balance, a real balance you have to strike there um, because you do have to infuse the organization with talent. But at the same time, um, you have to have really strong internal development programs. Um, you know, and that can be a 200 store business or that could be, you know, um, one great clips, you know, or, or, or one small business. Right.
2: Um, it's, it's no different. Absolutely, man. Well, anything you want to leave the audience with like a last piece of wisdom or piece of advice when it comes to maybe talent acquisition or just mindset as as they grow their franchise, anything at all? Yeah,
0: I would just say open mind, keep an open mind. I'll tell you, I, I didn't, um, I wouldn't have thought in a million years I would have worked for a Waffle House, uh, nor Taco Bell, and, uh, and, and much less in a recruiting capacity. So I would just say keep an open mind to what's out there. Not only, you know, in your world, you're you're trying to have people keep an open mind about, uh, you know, uh, franchise opportunity. They, they may not have ever thought in a million years they would be doing. Um, but, but oftentimes people, you know, uh, think or, or get pigeonholed into, you know, this is just the next thing that I'm going to do and, you know, I can move to this position, to this position and, and, um, you know, sort of move up the corporate ladder. But I'll just say if you, if you have more of an open mind and, and a little bit of a risk taker, uh, you can, um, you know, you can, you can do things that you never, you never thought you'd be doing. And I'm, I'm a good example of that. I have no, no real skill, uh, marketable skill coming in and, and, you know, leading a recruiting department has been, has
2: been a really, a really cool learning experience, so. I appreciate you having me on here, Christian. Absolutely, man. Greg, thanks for coming on, man. This has been so fun to talk about and super inspiring for me and and I'm sure for the audience that's listening. So really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks everyone for hopping on to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Uh, as always, if you'd like our help buying a franchise and figuring out which opportunities might be the right fit for you, reach out to us. And uh, we'll help you out, franchisefounders at gmail.com. Although we're likely going to be changing that email uh, pretty soon uh, because we are rebranding. Rebrand. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course, if you got some value out of this episode and really found it helpful and excited, share it. Share it with people you know. Share it on Facebook, Instagram, wherever it is. And uh, leave a review as well. We appreciate that. That helps us to reach more people. Uh, preach the good message that is franchising and the, the changes that it can make in people's lives and the wealth that can help people create.
1: You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to i ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss.